Good morning, guys. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Thank you for leading us into a time of worship, a reminder of the greatness of our God. I'm grateful for you guys. Um, we're in a third part of a seven-part series called The Seven. For those who have been here, you know the, the deal. Those who haven't, the quick deal is we believe we're made in the perfect place in creation. We've kind of placed creation up here. And we said, but we live in the muck and the mire of the world down here. And we can come to believe that the way we live down here is all that we're made for. And this is all that we've ever been created for. And yet we know that there's something kind of calling us, if you will, to, to more, to be greater. That's why some of you come to church. That's why some of you turn to God. That's why some of you are trying to figure out who God is or what his life might mean for you right now because you're kind of stretched between what is and what could be and you wish and you hope and you want that there's more and that's kind of the pull of the world that we live in compared to the world that we were made for and the seven is a series in which we're looking at the seven deadly sins and its impact on our ability to maintain healthy relationships and also to maintain a good relationship with God um now, I want to say all that as groundwork now. This morning is a, is a, is a hard morning for many of you, uh, very hard for some of you, and others are not so hard. Um, I'll kind of bring you up to speed with what I know uh, when I say that, because some of you are looking at me like you don't know what's going on. And for those who are listening later online, you're not here this morning, don't feel the mood or whatever. But this week uh, was a tough week for our Pequot Valley community, particularly for those in the intermediate school um, as well as related in the high school and all that. For, for those who don't know, there was a seventh grade student, Josh Bramell, who took his own life Thursday evening. Um, and it's been a tough week, as you can imagine, um, for the students, for the family, uh, for the faculty and staff, and for, for everybody, um, at all impacted by the ripple effect of a seventh grader uh, doing that. Um, for some of you, you're dealing with other things related to an increase in cancer in your life and in the lives of people who you love, and that actually has hit some of you harder this week. Some of you are dealing with marriage problems that are very real and very hard for you, and we can't even talk about all that here. But there's been so many things that have hit this week that are very hard for us as a congregation. Uh, some of you don't feel any of that, and, but I want you to know the people around you who do. Um, and as we think about this morning's message, um, it... It was one of those weeks where I thought, you know, this may be one of the weeks where you punt on what you would normally talk about. And when I would punt on the topic that I had scheduled weeks ahead of time or whatever it was to talk about for this morning. Um, because it can almost feel like um, the relative who doesn't get it. Does everyone have one of those in your family? <laughs> you do because you're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, raise your hand if you're that relative. Um, <laughs> But there's always somebody in the family who you feel like, man, they hit the joke at the wrong time. Like, this is not the time for the joke, right? I mean, they, they're, they're just off beat with everybody else in the family, right? And if you don't know of that person in your family, you might be that person in your family. Because everybody has somebody like that who's just as off beat. Like, it, 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 they're not quite with it, whatever it is, and you know exactly what I mean, the, the person who just doesn't, the timing is off, the joke isn't at the right time, the mood is wrong, I mean, just every, just 
awkward and off, right? And this morning, if, if I'm honest with you, my first blush at looking at what I want to talk about and comparing it, okay, weighing it against what we felt this week as a community, it feels off. It almost feels inconsequential at first glance. And so in a way, I thought, you know what, I need to, I need to provide for us something of equal consequence to what we've experienced this week. And I'm okay to punt on whatever it was I had to talk about. Because when you compare what I want to talk about this morning with this, of the weight of what we experience, it just feels like that relative who's off <laughs> beat. I mean, like, the church doesn't get it. Um, this has been a heavy week. We've got to deliver goods that are equal to the weight of what we're dealing with um, as a people. And, and uh, so I was there because um, it was tough. But I'll tell you where I'm at now, and I just want to tell you what happened in my life here Thursday into Friday and, and hopefully explain it. And I may or may not convince you that this was worth the, the time or that the content for this morning and the way we think about our God is worth that. But here's what happened. Thursday night I get a call from Sharon Ray, who's the principal at uh, Salisbury, or excuse me, at Paradise <laughs> the third time, Pequot Valley Intermediate School, okay? Um, Sharon has been here before. Many of you have known her. She came and did a little spiel with us. Um, it was very good. Um, but Sharon contacted me and, and just asked if I could call her. I called her, and she delivered the news to me that night about Josh Brumell. And, and here's what happened. Uh, it was about 7.30 on Thursday night. Um, I don't know what your schedule is like, but in our home, I, I tend to eat around 5, 5.30-ish, um, 6 o'clock range, something in there. Um, and that day, I think I may have, I don't know if I exercised or not, but I was getting hungry, just kind of slightly, you know, that little empty stomach feel around 7.30. You all get that, kind of that late evening snack, and then you head to bed. Maybe I'm the only one who does that, but I kind of had that, and I had just kind of helped the kids get their snack, and I was thinking, you know what, I kind of would like to, but, but many of you know I'm planning to run a marathon in April, and so I'm trying to lose about five pounds to make it easier on everything on my body to, to run that marathon and be successful and, and be able to be here the next day and be alive. Um, so I'm kind of watching my caloric intake and just trying to be careful what I put in, so I'm like, no, I'm not going to eat a snack, but I really wanted to. I got the call at 7.30, and I'm talking to Sharon for about five, ten minutes. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> my heart is heavy. How do you, I mean, all the questions that any of you would have are going through my mind, like, why, how, are you kidding? I mean, the devastation, the um, pain, um, figuring out how we're going to process this, all this is going through my mind. And, and you know what I wanted to do when I hung up that phone? Just intuitively, I started walking toward the pantry. I, I didn't even think twice about it, but that hunger that was in my stomach was exacerbated, was exaggerated after I hung up with Sharon. And I stopped kind of partway there after take a, taking a couple steps. I'm like, whoa, what is this? Like, it's only been a matter of two or three minutes. I just said no to my stomach a minute ago. Like, I'm fine, I'm fine to go to bed. But after I get news of something like this, comfort food, right? This intuitive thing that happens within me, at least, of in a crisis, without even thinking about it, I'm going to fill my appetite, satisfy my appetite with weedables. That's what I was heading for. Because I can control how many I take, and I don't need to have too many calories if I can just get the minimum amount. Now, here's what I did. I stopped, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. 
Um, and I made the decision again a second time to say no to my stomach, to say, no, I'm not going to eat that tonight. And, and I'll tell you what happened next is, number one, I got angry um, with God, to be honest with you. I'm like, this is dumb. Like, why? I just want to eat, and I just want to satisfy this little thing in me that wants food, and I kind of want to feel full. And I'm kind of angry that I can't do this right now. And I was just being honest with him. But then I'll tell you something else that happened in, in a matter of, of minutes is that that stomach pain, if you will, that appetite made me go to a place in my relationship with God that I would not have gone if I had eaten what I wanted to eat. Because it reminded me, and I'm just being honest with you, that appetite in me, that stirring in me, even the rumbling of my stomach, took me to a place where I said, you know what, God, I'm dependent on you right now. I can't do this without you. There was something in that moment of not satisfying my appetite with the food that was right in front of me that took me to a newer, fresh, honest place of realizing my dependency right now and our dependency as a community is on our God, not on what I can control by going to the pantry and eating what I need to eat. Because I can guarantee you this, that if I would have gone to the pantry and got what I needed to get, my appetite would have been gone. And those moments there that I shared with God in my stepping into his fellowship, stepping into a relationship with him, I can guarantee you would not have happened, just wouldn't have happened, had I satisfied that appetite right there. So this morning what I want to talk with you about in this seven deadly sins reality is a topic that at first glance, I was ready to punt on because when I first got into it, I'm like, oh, this topic. <laughs> Everyone knows what this topic is about, but no, we don't. This, this topic is one that is so easily misunderstood, and I think there's a great depth of spiritual experience that happens underneath this, just like what I experienced Thursday night. If we're willing to look at this issue, and this is an issue of gluttony, the issue of gluttony. If we're willing to look at gluttony in a fresh way, I believe we're going to see something really profound in how we relate to our God. Because I believe that your appetite and my appetite is a gift from God, not meant to be spent solely on us satisfying it, but is meant to be a constant drumbeat reminder that there is a God who delivers more than anything that we can ever fill our stomachs with. And I believe this as well, that when we fill our stomachs constantly with the food that is around us, without stopping in moments and seasons to allow ourselves to experience the pain of hunger, we miss an opportunity to commune with God in a deeper way that otherwise we would not have. Therefore, I think it's a conversation worth having. And here's what some of you think when you think of gluttony. You think, um, people who eat too much food and get fat, right? That conversation is not worth having today, if that's all it is. It would be similar to saying, hey, the problem with young people today is they wear their pants too low. And that's about the level of intellectual strength that that argument has. It has nothing to do with you eat too much and you get fat, that is not the conversation about gluttony. Just like the quote-unquote problem with young people is they wear their pants low, they wear their hat backward, they listen to the wrong kind of music or whatever it is. That conversation at that level, not worth having. The, the issues are deeper, deeper, deeper than that. 
and, and here's what I also know, that if you're anything like this woman, I want to introduce her to you because I think she has something very important to say. Ooh, 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 sorry. I, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, my experience, okay, my experience um, Thursday night uh, and, and what, what I want to communicate really resonates with what Frederick Buechner said. And I want to show this to you and then introduce you to somebody. Frederick Buechner put my experience this way, and he said this, a glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. Isn't that good? And if you don't know what an icebox is, you can ask your parents or your grandparents. But it, the idea is the, the glutton is one who goes to where the food is to deal with issues of the heart. And food becomes our worship, right? And it replaces our dependency on God, especially in times of great need and sorrow, right? It just does. And sometimes experiencing the pain of that appetite will drive us to a relationship with God that we otherwise would miss if we don't do that. He says this. Now, I want to introduce you to this lady. Her name's Crystal Munson. Um, she is, her husband, Jamie Munson, is on staff at Mars Hill Church out in Seattle, one of the, the main campus pastors. Um, Crystal uh, wrote... Um, something actually spoke, a 52-minute podcast, if you will, on this issue of gluttony. Um, you can listen to it. In fact, by the time this service is over, there will be a posting on our Facebook page, on GPC's page, that will link you to Crystal Munson's full podcast and the article that she wrote about gluttony. But I think if you are anything like her, you can resonate with what she has to say. I pulled out just about a one-minute clip of her podcast to let you listen to this, because what Crystal is saying here is going to be, I think, your experience that you've probably never heard a conversation about gluttony from the church before um, in, in a broad way, and you probably have just thought about it being a matter of eat less food and get skinnier is kind of what we think about when we think about gluttony. So here's what she has to say about, about this. I mean, sure, I had prayed to God that he would give me more discipline and more self-control, but not once had it ever crossed my mind to ask him for forgiveness and to repent. In all of my years as a Christian, growing up, going to church on Sunday and Wednesday, and going to a private Christian school, I never once heard that overeating was a sin. It was unhealthy, maybe, and it made you fat, but it wasn't a sin against God. And then one day, God literally lifted the veil from my eyes, and he showed me, as I was reading in Galatians 5, verse 13, what I was doing. The verse says, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It hit me like a ton of bricks that my entire life was driven by opportunities to indulge my flesh. And even worse, it was at the expense of not loving and not serving my family and Jesus. Okay, this is Crystal's kind of beginning summary of where she's at related to overeating, in particular for her, and gluttony in general. Um, here's what I want to say about gluttony. Gluttony, as we think about gluttony this morning, I want us to think about it this way. Gluttony happens whenever, when my God is my stomach. Okay, when my God is my stomach. It's not about getting fat or, or anything like that. Um, but where, when my God is my stomach. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Philippians, um, Philippians chapter 3. Um, this, if you don't have a Bible with you, by the way, there's one in the pew near you. Um, Philippians is in what we call the New Testament, and it is in the right quarter of your Bible. Um, Philippians, you, you might find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they kind of all live together. Um, Philippians is right before Colossians and right after Ephesians. 
Paul is writing, we're just going to go little by little. If you could, I don't know if you can do this uh, well, but if you can, just try not to read ahead. <laughs> now that I've said that, all of you are going to want to read the whole thing because you wonder what I'm going to go after. But just stay with me if you can in the reading uh, this morning because I want to introduce the concepts to you slowly because we've read through this. For some of you read through it before. We, we tend to uh, just jump to our own conclusions without stopping to slow it down. So verse 18 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and here's what he says, for as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with, with what? With, with tears, many live as what? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Okay, let's stop there. Um, Good, the rule keepers did that. The rule breakers are still reading. (laughs) All right. For for as I told you before, and and now say even again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And this is an interesting beginning because he's saying, um, I've warned you, church, that, that many times I've said this, and now I want you to know that it is so powerful to me that the emotions are so close to the surface that what I'm telling you now, I'm telling you through tears. And you won't know this as I'm writing this to you. And you're not going to understand this as I'm in in prison writing this to you. This is part of the prison epistles. So I'm not with you. You can't see this. You can't Skype with me and see this. But I want you to understand how close to the surface this is, how important and compelling this is for me to tell you. I'm telling you over and over and over. And now I'm telling you again, this time with tears, that many live, that many live as enemies, as enemies of the cross of Christ. That these are people who are fully against the work of Jesus. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. And so it's going to be interesting for us as we think about this. And if you're at the Church of Philippi, you're kind of wondering, okay, um, who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? And what are their characteristics? What are their marks? What, are, what do the people look like, okay, who are enemies of the cross of Christ? Who, who are those people? And how do I distinguish them? How do I find them? And what does their future hold? And so this is where verse 19 comes into play. And he begins explaining and describing who the enemies of the cross of Christ are. He says in verse 19, their destiny, their destiny is destruction, comma. Let's stop there. Their destiny is destruction. In other words, they are destined for ruin. The things that they think are going well now and they're planning for the future and they're going to go well, they're all about their plans and their, 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 their thinking. Just so you know, their future is not going to be positive. Their destiny is destruction. And then, and then, he lays out this phrase that is part of the phrase that you see up here. And he says this, their God, their God, this would be important to know, okay, Paul, tell me who is their God, because if they're enemies of the cross of Christ, they by definition have another God. They have an idol. Okay? They're following somebody else and something else. And he says, their God is their one. Stomach. Their God is their stomach. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on, Paul. You don't actually mean like their stomach. Like you don't actually mean like they just want to eat regularly and a lot and be full all the time you don't what do you mean you're talking Paul you're crying 
Okay, you're in tears, you're worked up, you're, you're compelled again and again and again to tell us, and now you're telling us with tears, that there are people who live as enemies, opposed to the cross of Christ. And so, what is going to be their idol? What is it then that they are going to follow? Not only are they against Christ and the cross, but now you are, you are for what? Like their God is, how about power? That would be good. Their, their God is money. How about their God is their reputation? I could get that. That would be understandable. I can see that. So boy, some people really are arrogant in this world. I can understand that. Hey, their God is their retirement package. I'm, I'm good with that. I've seen people really go off the rails on that. And once they retire, they stop having a purpose and they die early and all that. And I understand that. But come on. <laughs> their God is their stomach. It just seems so inconsequential. And it just seems so like the relative who's offbeat. Like you're, Paul, do you understand how hard life is? And you're telling me that there are people who make their God their stomach, and when they do, they set themselves up as an enemy of the cross of Christ? Seriously? Their God is their stomach. And, and notice he doesn't say here that their, their God is to lose weight or gain weight. In other words, there's no, there's no commentary here on the ideal body type. Okay, There's no commentary here on how heavy or thin or whatever you should be. Their God is their stomach, which means, by default, that you can have the God be your stomach. In other words, I want to fill my stomach or I want to get a flat stomach, okay? So gluttony is not just about overeating and not thinking about the food I consume. It's also about saying the most important thing to me is how I'm looking to people. So I want to lose the weight because my God is my stomach and how I present myself to you. I want you to know my glory of how I've lost weight. Everybody see? I lost 30 pounds. I just want you all to know because my God, the most important driver for me is to let people know this is the weight that I have lost. I've done it. You see it? Because my God is my stomach. This is what I set myself up as. In both ways, it cuts to us because it cuts against our dependency. It cuts against things that we like and we prefer. Okay, he goes on to say, their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Their mind is stuck on the earthly stuff. In verse 20, but our citizenship, where you really belong, okay, if you will, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In other words, the satisfaction that I want, both from being full and being skinny, can be the God that drives me to do what I want to do, and therefore I will not find the satisfaction that I should find in my God. That the dependency that I should have on a God who delivers all good things for me, I will not have when my God is my stomach. When my focus is I've got to either eat to fill it or eat less to present myself well because the main driver for me is my body. And I just listen to it. 
It's an amazing and profound section of Scripture. We can set ourselves up as the enemies of the cross of Christ when our God is our stomach. Let's draw this out a little bit. We know some things are true about this. Number one, that, um, that food impacts our effectiveness, doesn't it? Many of you know this. I've heard some of you as grandparents say this before, that um, you want to have more energy for your grandkids, and so you want to lose some weight. And you know what I say to that? Excellent. Good for you. Do it. Be there, because you know you can't influence your grandkids if you're not there with them. Right? I mean, this is the kind of example we're talking about. Gary Thomas said this. He said, my longevity is set by God, but I can affect both my frailty and my availability. Get that? In other words, there's a number of days that you have to live on this earth, and that's just kind of set by God, I believe. That's what the Bible teaches. Whether we like it or not, your number of days are set. You really can't do a whole lot about that. And, of course, comedians will joke like, well, today may not be my day, but I don't want to be in the plane when it's the pilot's day. Okay? Um, you know, that, that would be a bummer. But, okay, my days are set by God, but I can affect both my frailty and availability. In other words, how you eat can impact your energy and your ability to influence people and to be, have the energy to say, yeah, you know what? I will have the energy after a full day of work to help serve whatever it is, in the church context. I'm going to have that energy because I'm eating better. It becomes a spiritual issue. It can affect your effectiveness, okay? And I also want to say a couple things when I, when I think about gluttony. There's kind of three Ps. I made them up because I just wanted to have three Ps. I don't know why I wanted three Ps, but I did. So these word choices may not be the best, but here we go. This is a way to think about gluttony, three things to think about. Um, and number one, and this is this parents, okay, if you have little kids, this may be the most helpful thing that I have ever given to you. Okay? This may be the kind of thing where you say, I'm just going to keep coming back to this church forever because this changed my life with, with my kids at home. Okay? One of the things about gluttony is this. Is it's a question of, am I a picky eater? Okay? Am I a picky eater? Here's where that comes into play. In other words, the glutton who's picky is saying, you know what, hey, thanks for hosting this party, but do you have anything else for me to eat? I don't do that. And I don't want to bother anybody or put you out, but are you making coffee? Because I like coffee with, with this. The glutton who's a picky eater is one who doesn't think about the impact of their need to satisfy. In other words, I have a taste palate that needs satisfied. And so I don't care what you have to do to satisfy my need right now, but I mean, if you don't mind, could you send it back to the kitchen to have them do it again? And again, because it's just not quite right. And I'm telling you, you know this, if you've ever been on a missions trip with a picky eater, it is a spiritual issue in a hurry, isn't it? It doesn't work. Like you, it is highly, highly offensive to walk into a context and have a fish head served to you and not eat that thing. Right? Yeah, ha, someone threw up back there. You heard that, you knew that. <laughs> And that's reality, okay, because in other words, I'm saying my God is my stomach. I deserve to have what I want to eat. I'm picky about it. You may as well say I'm a glutton about that. And that's going to impact our relationship with you as the host. You're going to feel offended. Am I going to be able to share anything of, of godly value with you? No, because I'm not willing to eat the food that you give to me. And so parents, you, may, you have kids, and they're maybe picky, and you can say, listen, the pastor said, 
It's bad to be a picky eater. Eat your broccoli, okay? You're welcome. You're welcome for that, okay? Picky eating is a reality of gluttony. Number two, packing it in, okay? Packing it in, one who likes to pack it in is one who likes to eat just because they want to feel full. And, and we've been there. It was a guy, William Desmond, I think, made the comment. Basically, the dieting would be easy if you could eat the food that you liked and then spit it out. Right? Can you imagine that? You're going to have a Super Bowl party tonight, perhaps, or maybe you're not. You're going to have an anti-Super Bowl party or whatever, whatever you like to do with that. But you're going to be in a context where wouldn't it be easy? It'd be easy to diet if I could just eat the chocolate cake or the whoopie pie, taste it, and then spit it out. It would be highly disgusting to be in a social environment like that. But regardless of that... But it's not that way because we like not only to taste the cake, we like the fullness, right, that comes from feeling full. The one who's kind of packing it in is saying, I need to keep that. This is what I experienced Thursday night. Like, I'm hungry, and I want something to fill me. And I want to kind of pack in the fullness in my stomach. It's a gluttony issue. It's a gluttony saying that right now my God is my stomach. The third P is really the piling it in. This one is the shoveling person who will take seconds at the buffet line before they even get first down, right? I mean, they're just piling it, piling it, and piling it. They're the overeater, the over-snacker. This is what we traditionally think of when we think of gluttony. Um, Ecclesiastes 6-7 says this about this kind of person. They say, um, all human toil is for the mouth, but the appetite is not satisfied. The appetite is never satisfied. We keep wanting to eat, 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 and it's kind of, what we do, just kind of pile it on. And the greatest fear is that if I don't get the good things that I want now on this trip to the buffet, they may be gone the second trip to the buffet. So I need to get them now because I deserve whatever I want to eat because this is what I, what I get, all right? Now, here's a question. Should we feel guilty about food? Like, is there a way uh, for us as we eat because our appetite is constant? If I were to talk for another two hours, many of you would actually just leave in the middle of this, not only because you'd be bored, but because you would be hungry. Your appetite is beginning to develop even now from breakfast, or if you missed that especially, then from whatever you had last night or your coffee is starting to wear off. Shortly you will be hungry. The appetite continues to roll. Some of you right now are like, stop talking, I've got to go eat lunch, right? So the question is, is there a way for us to deal with food without feeling guilty about it? And here's a couple of things real quickly. Number one is that God made food for us, okay? And God made our taste buds too, right? And so it's right um, to enjoy food, and it's right um, to have food. And there's times when you need to maybe fast, and there's also times to feast. Okay? It, it would be wrong, it would be inconsiderate, if you're throwing a wedding reception and you're celebrating your daughter or your son's wedding. It would be wrong, I believe, to serve um, bread and water at the reception. It, it just doesn't honor anybody, does it? And so it is right in certain contexts to feast. The scriptures talk about feasting. We have an anticipation at the end of times in in Revelation about the great um, marriage supper of the Lamb, this feasting concept, that that feasting and enjoying food and and lots of it sometimes and delicacies that is not inherently and just by default wrong. And so I'm not ruining your Super Bowl party tonight, okay? It would be wrong at your Super Bowl event to serve, right, bread and water. It just doesn't go with the weight of the event. There are times when it's right to enjoy feasting. There's also times when it's right to enjoy fasting. But here's the thing. Here's what believers in Jesus can do that others cannot do. When we eat, let's say tonight, the Doritos or the pizza or the wings that are done just right and the sauce that just kind of makes it, sets it off just right, the believer in Jesus can, say, can, can have in that moment, and it may seem funny to you, but it's reality, can have in a moment a time of worship. 
a time of, you know what, God, thank you for this good food, quite seriously. This is an incredible taste. Whoever came up with Cool Ranch Doritos is awesome. I mean, I love when I get one that has all kinds of little flavor things on it because it pops in your mouth and you love it. And the person who doesn't believe in God, it's like, whatever, great taste, there we go. The believer in Jesus is like, man, this is awesome that I was created to be able to taste like this. And this reminds me, this takes me beyond the food that I have now. This takes me to the grandeur of God. It does. It takes me to the point where I see the beauty and the power and the strength of God. Believers can do that and can be moved there, even as we eat, as a reminder of the power, the beauty, and the strength of God who created you to enjoy the things that we have. It's reality. I don't, I don't think that we just not constantly need to feel guilty. Okay? However, here's the issue. If you were to summarize it this way with Rebecca de Young, she wrote this. The gluttony is not only about pleasure, but also about being able to find our happiness in a pleasure that we think we can provide for ourselves. Gluttony is not just about pleasure, but about per- being able to, to find our happiness in a pleasure we think that we can provide for ourselves. So, to take you back to my Thursday night illustration. Here's the problem with gluttony, and here's the problem we don't, here's why I think it's so important to talk about it. Because when we, when we are gluttonous, when I, if I would have walked right over to the pantry, pulled out the weedables, and just started eating them, which I would have done if I hadn't been speaking this message, probably. I just would have eaten it uh, without thinking about it. And as I stopped to think about it, here's exactly what I was going to do. I was going to find pleasure in something that I can provide for myself, and therefore I become a god. My stomach becomes the god that I want to satisfy. And I don't need, and I can guarantee you, I would not have taken the moment and the time to stop and think about my god and my savior. My appetite did that for me. My unsatisfied food appetite pushed me to realize I have a deeper issue here. I'm not really just needing to eat. I'm needing to have a moment of worship to remember the dependency that I have on a God who provides more than I ever can provide for myself. And this is the problem with gluttony. When we don't think about the things we consume, we miss these great, great moments to stop, remember the greatness of God. Now, Jamie um, and Crystal Munson, one more time, I want to revisit them. Crystal um, had a final comment. I want to share this with you, just about a 10-second blurb on her thing, because this summarizes well, I think, our feelings related to this. And she kind of cuts below the, the surface on how she dealt with and how she processed her own heart condition when it came to this food stuff. So check out Crystal here. God was showing me truth once again that I did not want him to change my heart. I wanted him to change my body. I didn't really want to give up my sin. I just wanted to fit into my old pants. I didn't want repentance. I didn't want brokenness. I didn't want humility. I just wanted to lose weight. And after all that God had done for me, I just wanted glory for myself. And after all that God had done for me, I just wanted glory for myself. My God is my stomach. I'm setting myself up as an enemy of the cross of Christ. When I get on that scale, yes, I've lost another 10 pounds, whatever it is. Listen, I want you all to know, my God is my stomach because it stops there. Now, I'm not saying everybody who talks about that is doing that. Okay, hear me now. I'm not cutting through motivations. I cannot do that. I do not know the motivations of hearts. I only know mine. 
So I can tell you that there are times when I'm like, man, I lost another pound too, whatever, I'm on my way, and my God is my stomach. And she's saying, hey, truthfully, I mean, who hasn't been there? Truthfully, I didn't want to change my heart. I just wanted to change my body. I didn't really want a change in lifestyle. I just wanted to fit into my old pants, right? I didn't want God to change my heart, and this is the the issue. And so as we think about this, of where we live, the seven series on gluttony and what we were made for, we need to kind of turn the corner into confession. Because we want this series to be about confession, not just about learning more about sin, which we're all really good at doing anyway. Here's what I want to say about confession. This is kind of what you already know, that our level of confession is relative to the level of our relationships. In other words, when something very personal happens to me, I will share it very personally with one or two people, and you're the same way, right? Even in the tragic events of this week, there are some of you who would go right away to a friend or two, but not to others. doesn't mean you hate them or whatever, just the reality that the level of our confession is relative to the level of our relationship. And so I, I want to talk about that this way. When we think about um, what we experience together, we have a large group gathering here on Sunday mornings. And as I've been pushing into confession, that where we need to become continuing to grow as a body and confessing, um, what I'm not saying is that we take um, big sins and confess them in big groups for people who are not impacted by them. In a large group setting like this, when we think about something like gluttony, here's where I think confession, if you will, can be safe and good and helpful. The conversations we can grow in related to gluttony, for example, at a large level would be something like after the service, you know, it's saying, um, I never thought of it this way before. When he said that, when we saw that in the scripture or whatever, that hit me here. I need, I need to work on that. That's safe. We've all been there. We all just experienced this. Or, you know what, I don't agree with that. I'm struggling with this. And what about that? We all just experienced that. That's a layer of conversation that we may not always have as you walk out the door. Okay? That's something that we can do. At a medium-sized group level, whether that's your Sunday school class, a 9 o'clock hour, maybe you consider that a small group, there's another layer that you can go to. Like, you know what, I, this week I just need to be honest. I haven't even thought about this at all. I mean, I... I'm right there. I do the mood eating thing, and you know I'm struggling with my weight, and, and it's really about me wanting to look better for me, and I'm not really understanding the depth of my heart. That's something that you may not want to share here, but you can share, and that would be safe to share in a medium-sized group. And then there's the small group, whether that is a small group or one or two people or whatever it is, where it, was, it would be, and this is kind of where we want to push into, that our hope is you have at least one person you can talk to like this, where you say, you know what, I really hate this. And here's where I'm struggling with this. This issue of dependency on God is so close to me because I want you to know I'm so insecure about how I look. I constantly think about my body. I constantly am trying to dress it up in the right way so that people will see me in the best possible context. And I've never told you that before, but I need to tell you that now, that my God is my stomach, and I'm struggling badly with this. And this may be the context to lay out all kinds of things from the past that you've experienced that you've never told people about in a small group, one-on-one, one-on-two context. And when we don't, we have this distance that comes between us that stays there and lives there and pushes us away from what we were made for, for creation, for the life in the garden. I want to leave you with a passage of Scripture this morning that brings... I hope comes into new meaning for you and with you. And it is from Psalm 34, verse 8. 
psalmist there is writing. He says, taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It brings new meaning to verses like this. Here's what I believe for you guys, that your appetite is a gift. It reminds us constantly, several times a day, that we are dependent people. And our problem is when we use that dependency to self-medicate on food and create a God. And don't take those moments to remember and reflect the depth and the power and the strength of our God. The things that you guys have been through, the feelings that you're feeling, the things related to, to Josh at Peckway Valley, the things related to cancer that I know some of you guys are dealing with, the marriage stuff that I know some of you are dealing with, the financial stuff that others are kind of fighting against, the body image issues that I know some of you are fighting with, and all these things, okay? And your appetite is going to come, you're going to want to eat lunch. And I'm just saying, there's another moment, another, just another stop in the day where that appetite can remind you, and it's a gift to remind you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. No matter how much you fill your stomach with at lunch, you're going to be hungry very soon again. You'll be hungry again. God says, listen, come on. Taste and see. Taste and see. In those moments when you feel that hunger, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Step into the time of praise, reflection on him, the time of worship where you ask him, God, remind me again that I'm dependent on you for everything that I do. For everything that I do. Let's pray together, guys. Good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the chance to reflect on a topic that at first glance seems inconsequential related to the heaviness of what so many are dealing with this week. We are people who are desperately dependent on you. We are frail and and, uh, weak people who have constant appetites for things. And I pray that we would never be able to be painted in the camp that Paul painted the enemies of the cross of Christ with, and that is that we have made our God our stomach in one way or the other, that we would be people who taste and see that God is good. To take the moments of of fasting, whether from a meal or from a dessert or a coffee or whatever it might be that we're used to, to stop when we would prefer to drink that or eat that and use those moments where we fight against our appetite to come back to dependence on the beauty and the strength of our God to help us in great times of need. I pray that you give us that courage to do those kind of things. And when we feast, when we enjoy food, which we rightly can do, that we would use those moments to enjoy the greatness and the beauty and the strength of God, who you've given us so many things for our good pleasure, that those moments when we're just enjoying the bounty of the land, where we are just grateful and it goes beyond just simply feeling full and stuffing ourselves but it goes beyond where we are reminded even in those moments this comes from the hand of a good God who's given us these taste buds to enjoy it and we praise you we thank you for that and so father in each of these times when we come give us 
the courage, the strength to kind of surrender, if you will, to you. All those thoughts that we have that will continue to make us want to make our God our stomach. That we can be people who at the end of the day will taste and see that our Lord is good. We pray this in Jesus' name.